Welcome to the Natural Running Network. My name is Richard Diaz, and what I hope to do is introduce you to some amazing athletes and luminaries from the sports science community, and what has come to be expected, I'll provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sports and my current favorite, obstacle course racing. Now sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. Okay, here I am again, my final podcast of the day at PodFest. Had the great fortune of just now, for the first time, meeting Johnny Waite, who essentially, in my opinion, is a legend in the birth of Spartan, because sure. you are, you are, was, uh, is the, the, one of the founding people for the original death race, right? Uh, well, I came along, there were a few death races uh, under their belt, but I think that I came along right when it sort of hit its stride and became... Um, the, the big deal that it, that it became. It sort of, you know, the death race did have its own legend that, that built pretty quickly. So uh, I'm lucky that I've been around uh, the death race a long time. Not one of the founders, but I've been around it a long, long time. Um, and I, I became uh, the director of it for, for the last few years before it took a hiatus. I, I shepherded through several years there. And so that was my big contribution. But um, Spartan Race, I've been around pretty much from the get-go. I ran the first race they ever had in Canada. And then I, a couple years later, came on as the international uh, quality manager. So I got to bring it into Australia and Mexico and Western Europe and South America and Asia. And so it's, um, it's been awesome to watch the growth of it and to be part of it. So now help me with this. I'm just assuming because um, clearly I've not been around it as long as you have. Now did this whole uh, brainchild of yeah. putting on this Spartan event, sure. that pretty much came from the death race, it right? It did, yeah. And so, so Joe and, and his gang were putting on this race in Vermont called the death race and it was this crazy over-the-top thing um, and what they looked at they said this is great but there's only a handful of people coming and doing this right and um, how could we scale this how could we make this more accessible for for the, the, the broader public right and um, you know you're, you're only gonna get so many people come to Vermont and spend 48 hours getting the shit kicked out of the woods. Yeah. but um, but you know it'd be really neat and you know now their philosophy is let's rip a million people off the couch they've already done that let's rip a hundred million people off the couch um, so where the death race morphed into into Spartan race was how can we take this to more people now um, I remember long ago reading probably I guess it was the one of the first articles that was written about death race is it an outside magazine outside magazine yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly and uh, you know, I remember the waiver said, this may kill you. Yeah, or uh, well, you may die. You may die. That was That's actually the was. website, youmaydie.com. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And um, from what I gathered from the article, uh, initially it was like you had to audition. Yep. And yep. once you passed mustard and you were yep. accepted, then the cadre at the time yep. spent time trying to talk you out of it. 100%. Yeah, because yeah. it, they kept saying, you know what, it's, this is going to be like, what happens to you if you go to prison and have a really, really, really bad day? Yeah. Well, yeah, you get there and you think, you know, you're a pretty big deal because you've got to the death race, you've been accepted. And right from the minute you get there, you're not going to finish. You're nobody. And, uh, and it was really interesting. Like, you know, every single part of it was set up to encourage you to quit. You know, it really, from the minute it started to the minute it finished, there was no one holding your hand. There were no aid stations giving you Gatorade trying to get your electrolytes back up. It was a series of challenges and a series of people that you ran into 
telling you you can't do this, demoralizing you, setting up impossible situations that uh, you thought you'd failed and you know you thought you're going to get kicked out and that mental game of starting to, to give up. Um, it was it was ridiculous. So when you guys are setting this up, yeah, um, do, does a lot of what happened come about on the fly, or do you guys like sit down one night and just over a beer or something yeah. to say, let's do this to them and see how this works? I think a lot of racers ask that question because sometimes it does feel like it's pretty ad hoc out there. There is a solid plan. There is always a solid plan. But when you're running a race that long with that many moving pieces, with that many weather situations come up with that many uh, human error situations that come up um, you really the way I always did it is you you built modules so I knew I was going to do this first and I was probably going to do this second and if everything was on track I'd do this third but I would have it like a jigsaw puzzle where I could if I was behind schedule I could pull number seven out and get it back on schedule if I was way ahead of schedule I had these ones that were optional ones that I could plug in and um, if it was going in such a way that not enough people were being broken down, I would bring out the nuclear one that I wasn't going to do, <laughs> right? And just, just crucify Oh, them. man. And, uh, and so, um, so even though it had the feeling of chaos, it was very much controlled chaos. We knew what we wanted them to do, and, um, but, but we had to have some flexibility in it, too. But didn't you ever have the, I mean, obviously enough, it said, you will die. <laughs> yeah. Didn't you have the fear that somewhere along the way that, that could happen? Oh, I had that fear as a racer. <laughs> I'm sure you yeah, did. Yeah, oh my God. The first year, uh, the second night with no sleep, uh, we went out in a brutal rainstorm and they had marked the course essentially up a waterfall. I mean, it was just a steep, cascading bunch of water and you've got a 50-pound pack and a 70-pound log and you're by yourself on no sleep, <laughs> essentially rock climbing up a waterfall. And I remember being halfway up and thinking, okay, this is a, this is a bit much. Yeah. And um, nobody died yet. <laughs> and... Um, and, and, but it's funny because you did, your waiver was literally on video being asked a series of questions. You're saying, yep, I accept full responsibility for this. I know that I could die. I know that they're not responsible. I'm doing this in my own volition. And when you're out there, you're thinking about that. Now, as the race director, it's a whole different level of responsibility. You, sure. don't, you don't want anyone to die, obviously. Of course not. But you're also setting up, when, when you do a Spartan race, I mean, there are engineers and lawyers and doctors, and they look at this, and they make sure that as challenging as it's going to be and as hard as it's going to be, it's not supposed to be dangerous. You're going to have some broken ankles and you're going to have some heat stroke and things like that, but it's just the nature of any kind of physical event, right? But in the death race, it's a whole different animal. Like you're setting up situations where people could get really hurt and they could get into a lot of trouble. They could get lost and never come back off that volcano in Mexico like almost happened. Um, so you're mitigating that risk, but you're setting up a, an adventure race where that risk is very, very real. And um, so when they come in, they're coming in accepting that risk. I mean... Even though it was kind of a joke, you may die. You might. You also might die. <laughs> and so, you know, it was never set up to, to create that as a, as a distinct possibility. But every racer and every race director and every volunteer and every medic there knows that, you know, the chances are at least a thousand times higher in that event than they would be in a normal event. So, and I, I've, I've met Joe mm -hmm. uh, and we've talked. And I, I get it. I know what Joe's about. Yeah. I, I shouldn't say that. I don't know sure. what Joe's about, but yeah, I have but a I sense of what he, yeah. what he's been trying to create, yeah. and, and what his kind of his mantra has been. Um, and I, I'm assuming that the whole concept of this death race, and you correct me if I'm wrong, is to give people an opportunity to find something about themselves that they yeah. didn't know. Hundred percent. Okay. So, 
by putting yourself in the most extreme circumstances to find out what you're made of. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. And uh, I don't know, man. I just, you know, I'm old now, so sure. I, I don't have that in me. Yeah. I, I used to, when I was young and back doing triathlons and things like this, I used to have the attitude that you could do just about anything you want to me yeah. for 24 hours. Sure. But once I lay down and go to sleep, it's game over. Yeah, the secret is don't lay down and go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, I'm not coming back. Yeah. Um, and uh, I liken this, and I'm sure you've had these, these parallels before, but my son is in special ops. Sure. And he's been to SEER school. Yeah. And that's a pretty tight correlation yeah. with, um, I mean, again, it's a controlled suck. They're, sure, yeah. They have yeah. an intent, and they, yeah. I think they've, try to figure out how much they can stretch mm -hmm. to get you to this mental place. Yeah. But I don't I, know. I've always been really careful though too to, to make a very clear distinction because I think a lot of people do come to it and they go, it's just like special forces training. It's not. Like I mean it's hard, it's brutal, it's crazy. Um, it breaks you down mentally and physically. But I've always separated those two things because I think a lot of people were never cut out to go do the military or the special forces, so they do this instead, and they think they're doing the same thing. It's not. It's not the same thing. So I always want to make that very clear that um, uh, whether it's the intensity level, but more importantly, it's the it's the intention of it. Like when you're going through for special forces, it matters. It's yeah. important you're doing something that matters. When you're doing the death race, it actually doesn't matter. Like we make it matter. We play the game of this matters because you'd never finish if you didn't decide that it mattered but it matters to you. And I used to joke with that, you know, when we'd get an ego over it, and I'd say, keep in mind, 99% of the people have never heard of the death race, and those who have, 99% of them think it's really stupid. So that 1% <laughs> of the 1% might be impressed that you did well. Right. But uh, it's a pretty small slice of the world, right? Um, I know you probably know this guy, uh, and I, I'm gonna apologize if I don't recall his last sure. name, Dylan Davis, is that Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah great guy. I yeah. worked with Dylan uh, yeah. once upon a time, and, yeah. and I was, yeah, so I'll share something about Dylan in a minute, but you go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, Dylan and I had this conversation. I actually did a podcast with him. And he told me, uh, and I haven't talked to him in a long time. Sure. But he told me that he found his, his calling. Yeah. So Dylan, um, he, he did a winter death race. And I right. think of all the ones I managed, directed, that was probably the most extreme. We had a weather system in Vermont that came in um, rain. Like, say, just below freezing rain, but a lot of it created ice. Um, then it dropped, like, literally to minus 40. <laughs> and like, and that, now, they're, now they're busting through a sheet of ice this thick on top of the snow that's waist deep. Um, and we had them in the river for an extended period of time. Another friend of yours, Mark Jones, he helped yeah. me at that race. Yeah. And he brought them up chest-deep water. And I'm not talking, like, quick in and out. They walked for 45 minutes up this river in February in Vermont in chest deep water. Oh, and, th and then they got out and had to do all these other challenges. And one of the things that I set up with that one was at the end of the race, um, you had amassed penalties or benefits or bonuses. And you did a quick mental challenge where you distributed your bonuses to try and mitigate your penalties. But they all had to get back in that water. And nobody wanted to get back in that water. And so I'm going to come back to Dylan. He was the one guy who, every time he got in that water, he came out smiling, and it was awful. Like, I'm not, again, Vermont, <laughs> January, right? And uh, so now they're going in only for five minutes at a time, but that's a long, long time to be in water like that. And um, he is one of the toughest guys I've ever met. When he arrived, 
I didn't think he was going to be so tough. He's kind of a pretty guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right? He's a, he's a good-looking guy. He's not the big. I think his first sponsor is Lululemon. Like, he's a, <laughs> right? But he is one of the toughest Man guys. Man bun. He's one of the, exactly, yeah. <laughs> one of the toughest guys I've ever met in my life. And I know he's gone on to have success in uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And, um, but, yeah, that race, the other thing at the end of that race, I think nine people finished out of 60. No, probably 80. Um, and uh, at the end of it, they had to do an, uh, just a ridiculous number of burpees. I'm not even a huge fan of burpees, but I mean, it's always been a big part of our races. Yeah. And uh, I think, like, I'm not kidding, they had to do 3,500 burpees. Um, they had to be in and out of the water. They had to run up the mountain. And um, yeah, that guy just, he, he doesn't break. He was, uh, we had a lot of conversations about this. And we talked about, he did spring, he did winter. Yep. And he talked about um, this balloon relay. You know what okay, I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, you had a, you had a, um, I guess these guys were in their underwear. Yeah. And they were basically tied together. Yep. Right. Yeah. And so the the balloon had to be relayed amongst the the guys in the line. Sure. And the your cadre were yeah. trying to poke the balloon. Okay, no, there's two things. So, so I was thinking of, sorry, I was thinking of when we took them essentially naked, like in yeah. their underwear, through the woods for just a ridiculously long period of time and intentionally wound them in and out of trees. So you've got like 50, 60 guys tied together by a couple thousand foot rope yeah. and you would, you would essentially tangle them. And it was in the rain. It was awful. So no, I, I think because he also did the thing called Selection, the television show. And I think that that, that challenge was in that one because that one had more the, 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 the real cadre that were, were beating them down so no it was death race okay because yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think I, I may have a couple different things confused, yeah, yeah. But, but he said something about they were they were relaying a balloon yep barefoot yeah okay. in their underwear yep. oh 100 percent. yeah 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 yeah, yeah that, and, that was and, summer death race yeah yeah, yeah and what, it, we, we took them up a, a, a route called blood root yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's yeah, what it and, was and blood root it's legendary in death race as the most brutal hard gnarly muddy rocks and roots uh and and i decided one year i thought wouldn't it be cool to send them up blood root completely barefoot <laughs> And and then and then just for fun, we'll have them get out of the river, wet, take their clothes off, and do it in their underwear. So these guys were in their underwear with a life jacket on, barefoot, and they I think it was like 28 miles they had to go. Barefoot. Yeah. yeah. Well, you said something about they were they were relaying a balloon yeah. that had a number in it. Yeah. And whatever the number was, if it broke, everybody had to do that number of burpees yeah. or yeah. something like yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. He also said, and I think it was probably this winter thing you're talking about where. He had a stand in a barn. Oh, God. That was my idea. <laughs> my background is psychology, right? Yeah, I've, I've, I've been a mental coach and, uh, and come out of a psychology background. That was awesome. I decided that the physical side of it was bad enough. I brought them in completely exhausted, like just shattered. And I had them put on um, a, a sleep mask. They had to bring a blindfold and, um, and earmuffs. So they wore construction earmuffs and blindfolds. And I told them they had to stand dead still for an hour, one hour. And the one hour they didn't know, I, I wasn't telling them how long it was. Yeah. And for every minute over or under the hour, they had to do 100 burpees. <laughs> and, and they also had to go in the water for an extended period of time. Oh, and so, um, so you've got these guys trying so hard to stay awake. And like they're literally like nodding off on their feet. They're shifting from foot to foot because the floor is cold and they're in their bare feet. And, um, but the, the, he, he talked about the hallucination of that. Yeah. Like, you're not only trying to stay awake, you're trying not to go completely insane. Yeah, that, that was nuts. That, that was a really fun challenge. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a hoot. Yeah, yeah. So now, uh, you know, it's almost like the Marquis de Sade. I mean, you guys sitting there thinking about how to punish people. Well, yes, but, but it's for a reason, right? Because yeah. like you say, it draws something out of them. Yeah. And, um, but that was always something I had a real challenge with, and Joe and I talked about it, and another product came out of that. So Death Race, 
for the people who succeed, yes, they tap in, they find something about themselves, right? They find out they're capable of much more than they ever thought they were. And a guy like Dylan, like it reframes your life and you go on to do even more incredible things. But the hard part with it is that, and I said to Joe, it's a filter. Like we're not making them all stronger. We're filtering out the weak ones. And then the ones who are already really strong become even stronger. And there's something, I, I want to say Darwinian, but, uh, but almost unfair about it. Because a lot of these other people are amazing people too. They're just not those incredibly ultra-mentally, physically strong people. And so I said, as much as I enjoy this, and we put on this race where we're 48 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours, I think we had one that was 80 hours. And you see, who can you break? Who can you break? But you forget that some of those people you've actually broken. And I have friends who went home and struggled and ended up like going to counselors about this failure and this. And I don't want to, uh, again, take anything away from the military. You know, the term PTSD, you right. know, car crashes, bombs, things like that. That's real PTSD. But there's a certain post-traumatic stress that goes along with any, in, any stressful situation. Putting in 75 hours of the hardest thing you've ever done in your life with people telling you you're going to fail, you telling everyone, all your friends, I will never fail, and then failing. That, that's hard to, so, so I said to Joe, wouldn't it be cool if we create an event that was as long, as hard, but the point is we're trying to lift them up. We're trying to help them and we're creating a situation where they help each other. And so Agogi, which is another Spartan product, right. um, which is all over the world now. Right. We just did one in Mongolia, China, Japan. Yeah. I did one in Iceland and, um, and I helped, helped direct that one. Um, but the cool thing is almost everyone finishes it. And it's not because it's easier, but because instead of guys standing there saying, you're a failure, you're going to fail, and you create a situation where... They, they succeed. And so I think that they both have a place in the world. You know, Death Race is this uber challenge that people take on um, that tops 10, 15% are ever going to finish. Um, whereas Agogi is more about building them up. So, Yeah, I have a friend, uh, Scott Lesser, went, yeah, yeah. went to Mongolia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I worked with him. Sure. And he's out of Kansas City. I did okay. some stuff with yeah. those guys there. But uh, I don't know, man. It's just obviously for me, it's it's not in my wheelhouse anymore. But but I think that it's not that you're not capable of it. I do think no, but I, I think that you get to an age you're like, I don't have to prove this to anybody, right? Right? Like I don't do death yeah. race either anymore yeah. because yeah. I don't need to prove it to anybody. Well, either. that's clearly what it is sure, uh, yeah. because I realize in the nature of the business I'm in, everybody looks at me and says, Oh, you can do it, yeah. and I'm like, You don't get it. It's not a function of whether I think I could do it or I can't. I know I can do it. Sure. Yeah. I, I've I've never had a problem with challenging myself. Yeah. I'm at a point in my life where I just don't want to do it. Sure. You know, I mean, you got to want to do it, right? You got, yeah. I, when you're trying to experience yourself, like yeah. you're talking about, yeah. coming up through life, you, you want to, you're testing your metal. You just yeah. want to see who you are, right? I, I have a theory that everything is a game. And what I mean by that is that, like, I'm a dad. I right. love my kids so much. I think I'm a really good dad. But I played a game called being a good dad. Like, I could have played a game called being a shitty dad, right? <laughs> and so, so when you take these things on, you know, if you want to become a marathon runner, you're playing the game that calls, that you call, I'm going to be a marathon runner, I'm going to be a business person. Because you don't have to do it. And, uh, but you need to make it important. So, for example, um, does it matter if uh, Johnny Waite finishes a death race or not? No, it doesn't matter in the scope of the world. So I need to make it matter to me. And so what you're saying is, it doesn't matter enough to me to go out and do the Ultra Beast here in, a, right. in, a, in Tahoe. It just doesn't matter. But if you created a game called Richard Diaz is going to go and do the Ultra Beast in Vermont, you, you can play that game. So, so you choose your game. So right now you're playing a game called I'm going to help other people become better functioning athletes and human beings. That's the game you've made important, and you're very good at it. Um, 
But I do think in life, we need to realize that everything we do, we're, we get to choose to do. Sure. Right? And, and when you see it that way, and you see it as a, as a privilege and an opportunity, and, and you realize that you're the one making it important. And I'm not saying, Joe and I talked about this, Joe said, well, if, if nothing matters, like inherently matters, why do we do anything? I said, because we get to decide what matters. So, so I decided death race mattered, and I went and I did well at it because I decided it mattered. But now I've decided it doesn't matter to me. Other things matter to me. So, so I, all I want to say about that, like you get that you could go and do it. Sure. Um, but you've chosen to put your energy into different areas right now. Right. Yeah, that's well said. That's well said. I, I, I think for me that sums it up. Um, and, wow, that's really profound. <laughs> Thanks. I like that. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, and, I, and honestly, I think that helps to put the whole concept of this heinous challenge sure, yeah. into perspective. Yep. Because... You know, it could very well be that some people um, are in doubt. Mm -hmm. they, they're, they're, they're facing a lot of self-doubt. Sure. And maybe they want to find themselves. And, oh, yeah. And this could be the, the, the path for them, right? 100%. Well, I think... I think Spartan has been that path for a lot of people. Sure. And, and I think you know Charlie Angle pretty well. Sure, yeah. And Charlie talks a lot about that. He says, it's not that I'm not an addict anymore. I've just found a healthier way to channel my addiction, <laughs> right? And I do think, like... Um, that uh, like this super extreme world, like uh, for me, um, I would be what they call hypomanic, which means I'm just below manic. Like you know, I don't want to be manic, but hypomanic is a good place to be, right? Like elevated energy, elevated everything, but you need an outlet for it. And so for me, doing this stuff creates a really amazing outlet for that intense energy. And right. so, um, so I think different people come in for different reasons. Some people come in because they have doubt and they need to prove something to themselves. Some people just need to get that energy out in a controlled environment. Um, and the other thing with it, and this is about like, again, the, um, the intensity of a, a hundred mile race, right? So most people think they, they couldn't go on a hundred miles. I suggest that they could because you just run slow forever. Yeah. But, um, but to me, the real value in this stuff is the opportunity to address things you don't address. Like when you're doing a hundred mile run and you're 17 hours in, and it's the middle of the night and you get that thought that pops up about that unresolved issue in your life. You know, when you have that in a normal day, you change the channel, literally. Right. You text your brother and ask him a totally unrelated question to get onto something else. You uh, ask buddies to go for a beer, or you watch the football game, instead of addressing that thing in your life. 17 hours into a run, it pops up. It's still there 19 hours into the run. There's no way to change that channel. And you're probably in a weakened state because you're out there exhausted. And I think there's huge, huge value in that. Tremendous value. So taking on something like the death race, or even a more solitary thing, although a lot of the death race is solitary. That's crazy. People don't realize that, that once the team beatdown breaks down, you're on your own for 20, 30 hours at a time. You might pass somebody at some point. Um, there, I think you know there's some guys here doing that challenge in the shipping containers. Did you know about this? Yes, I do. So they're running 24 hours on a, a, a treadmill. treadmill. Yep. Um, with no... Completely deprived. Of every sense in the world. Time, sight, sound, everything. Um, a 100-mile race in the woods is a little bit like that, where, where there's no way to change the channel. So I, I speak a lot about the psychology of endurance sports. And to me, um, it, the, the biggest value in it is being with yourself for an extended period of time. And so whether it's um, addressing that doubt, whether it's um, addressing um, uh, bad decisions, whatever it is, it's a really good vehicle for that. There's some self-therapy. Yeah. Uh, I, when you were talking about that, this deprivation, Yeah. Um, back in the day when I was doing triathlons and what have you, 
I lived in Hawaii yeah. and uh, had friends that would do the uh, um, Lanai crossing. Okay. You yeah. know, swim from Lanai yeah. to Maui. Yeah. Um, and that that's complete deprivation. Absolutely. You're, you, there's you yeah. and there's blue. Yeah. And, just, and, and every three seconds, one breath. That's it, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah you just got, there's nothing there but you and blue. Yeah. And it's usually, uh, well, as a crow flies, you may end up sw swimming 11 miles, depending on the current. And, uh, I mean, you come out, your tongue is swollen up, yeah. your wrists are swollen up. And I have friend, I've never done it. Yeah. I've, I've done, I think the lo longest I've swum in the ocean is close to three miles. Yeah. But um, even then, you know, you're completely deprived of, I mean, you have, you have some sensations because you're seeing what's around yeah. you. But when you're crossing the channel, you don't. It's right. just it, there's nothing unless a fish happens to come by. You look to either side, and at best you see the horizon, which is also blue. Yeah, that, it's crazy. So I don't know. Um, but but any of those athletes, you know, the the the, the channel crossings, the um, uh, my friend Frank Fumich, who's done a ton of ultra Ironman, you know, a ten times the Deca, um, oh. rode his bike and ram across America. I crewed from on that. Um, Getting into that hurt locker, getting deep in the hurt, right? And we, we talked about that, the suck fest. Yeah. Um, I do think it serves a purpose. And, and I think most of the athletes who are willing to take that on, they can't get that um, psychic kick from anything else. And, and, I, and you get very addicted to it. Because once you've had that experience of standing on the top of that mountain that took you a week to get up, or um, finishing that... 48-hour race that um, that halfway through you wanted to quit and you didn't quit. It's tough to go back to the day-to-day. -day. Like, yeah, the TikTok well, is real tough to do. You with. know, guys that I know, I'm sure. Like you look at guys like Dean Carnassus. Yep. Yeah. Uh, do you know Marshall Ulrich? Yep. Yeah. And so, another one that I want to throw the name in there. A, big, a real good friend of mine, Ray Zahab. Yeah. Up in Canada. So yeah. the same, the same cloth. All those guys. Yeah. So they do something crazy. Yep. And. Before they get a chance to recover from it, they, they already are forced mentally to find out what the new challenge is. And Charlie was in that club. Yeah, Charlie's yeah. one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. He, he has a big one. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure he shared it with you. He hasn't yeah, 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 yet, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I, yeah. I, I talked about it with him years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I think that there's probably um, a timeline mm -hmm. in, your, in your life where that kind of stuff materializes. Sure. Where you, you know, you, whether it was self doubt, or self-confidence could yeah. be could be just you feel so good about what you you're capable sure. of that you want to try something crazy. Yeah, right? and, and and you need to and if, if your limits like there's a guy because I used to say in the death race that most of us came in screwed up, like most of us came with something wrong with us that we're trying to sort out, right? There's a guy named Olaf Dolmer, incredible guy. He he won several death races in a row. He's the one guy I couldn't figure out. There's nothing wrong with that guy. You know, he's happy. He's mentally strong. Got a great girlfriend now. His wife. He's a PhD in something ridiculous. A doctor of all kinds of stuff. And he does a whole race with a smile. And his motivation was completely different than everyone else's. Like, we were out there trying to find something about ourselves. And he was just doing it because he could do it. So, so you're right. It's, it's weird, the different motivations. Like, I think his, like you say, was confidence. And it was like, wow, I might as well go do this. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, I told you early before we even started talking that my, my love for the sport came about because of the nature of the people involved. Mm -hmm. And... I'm going to get myself in trouble by saying sure. this, I'm sure, but I'm, you know, I just I have no filter. I'm sure. too yeah, old. Yeah, to have yeah, yeah. Um, I found that the Spartan community is completely different yeah. than like Tough Mudder community. Sure. And I just don't know that I, I, my personality doesn't resonate with that Tough Mudder community as sure. well. Yeah. 
as it does the Spartan community. Mm -hmm. And the majority of my clientele yeah. comes from Spartan. Sure. Um, and I think that uh, this is definitely an offshoot. And I never really thought about it that much before, but since you brought all this up and yeah. you're making me think about it, sure. is that the Spartan energy did come out of the, the birth from sure. this whole... You know, this whole thing, this whole challenge thing that came from Death Race. And, and Joe would say that Death Race came from Spartan. You know, they, they got established in 431 BC on the Spartan uh, merchandise. Uh, yeah, yeah. And the idea is that this was a lifestyle that was very much about becoming faster, stronger, tougher, and how far can you push yourself, how much can you challenge. So, so Joe did come out of that world. And, and you know, um, I've never met Will Dean, but um, I know that um, Tough Mudder was born out of a, um, a, a business project. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying it's not a great product. It's amazing, great people, great community. But it didn't come out of how can we make people tough. It came out of how can we convince people to challenge themselves and make money out of it. Not not a bad thing, but right. Spartan is certainly out of a purer place of challenging people as human beings. Yeah. And I, I got to tell you, just in the course of this conversation, it's given me a profound respect for the sport. Cool. Good. Yeah, it has. And I mean, not that I disrespected it in the past. Sure, yeah, it just, yeah. it just, it, it fills in some blanks for me that that gives it credit that I might not have given it a day ago. Well, and and every athlete on the mountain, uh, say Friday, so it's tomorrow, is yeah. is the beast out here. Yeah. Every athlete out there at some point will want to stop, like whether it's um you know whether it's John Elvin, Cody Mode, um uh, these guys who are uh, Ryan Atkins, big fan of Ryan Atkins, yeah. great Canadian, um, they push so hard that there will be a moment to think, uh-oh, have I blown it? Am I pushing too hard? Where am I at? How's this working out, right? Yeah. But the um, the guy who was 350 pounds a year ago, now he's down to 225 and he's out there, he's going to want to quit. And it's not quitting. And and this isn't, you know, death race where they're trying to make them quit. And 90% of them will finish. But every single one of them has to get through something to finish that race. Right. And I, that's what impresses me the most about it is... Um, is there comes a moment in a race that hard that you have to buckle down, right. and and that's what I love about it. And whether you're a bee, whether you're the newbie who uh, is out there and it's a hundred times harder than you thought it was going to be, and you think my brother's an asshole for convincing me to do this, or whether you're the guy who is expected to win and feels that pressure, um, you have to deal with something on that mountain, uh, physically and mentally. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that's um that's an amazing thing, and I've I've come up with a philosophy that that uh you know, I'll stamp at my trademark, it's mine, um, is it's going to be Tuesday anyway. <laughs> and so when you're out there on Saturday and you think, I'm done, you got to remember it's going to be Tuesday anyway and you're going to be sitting in a coffee shop, which story do you want to tell? About how you buckled down and got it done or about the reason that you decided to quit? Yeah. Right? It's going to be Tuesday anyway, so decide now which story you want to be telling on Tuesday. I've had that moment. Yeah, sure. I've had that moment where, you know, you had to make the decision. Yep. Are you going to just stop? Or are you just going to suck it up and finish it up? Yeah. I don't think I've ever done an event that I didn't finish. Yeah. And I've done some that challenged me. And I've done some that made me want to. The, actually, the last event that I did uh, at 63 years old yeah. made me want to quit. Yeah. Uh, made me concerned of my health. Sure. Um, did a triathlon in the ocean. And the ocean was angry because there was a hurricane recently. And the currents were just nasty. And I got tossed around a lot. And... Uh, a, a distance that normally would take me 24 minutes to cover took me 45 minutes to swim yeah. and I got out my back was trashed and I could barely get my wetsuit off and, yeah. but something just caused me to keep moving towards my bike 
-hmm. moving towards putting on my cycling shoes. Yeah. And all through the bike ride, I was in pain. Yeah. And I was telling myself that when I get back, I'll just get off the bike and go over to the medical tent and have somebody look at me. And when I parked my bike, I sat on the ground and started putting on my running shoes. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I don't, I was like almost like subconsciously was just, there was something that had to get done. Yeah. And I just kept moving in that direction. And, yeah. and I, I finished the thing and it didn't do badly. I mean, sure. it was not my best race by any stretch, but um, it was definitely my last one I, I, well, the, afterwards. But the great thing about that, imagine if you'd quit and you'd say, yeah, my last race, I quit. Yeah. It's, it's like when you're shooting baskets. Make sure you hit that last one. Yeah, right? yeah. Don't 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 miss three in a row. I'm done. Right. And, and so, uh, but but also that idea about just continuing to move forward, that's everything. Yeah. Because, you know, that moment you want to quit, you don't have to do. You know, say you run a marathon. Um, at 15 miles, you think there's something wrong. You know, obviously you have to listen to your body if there's an injury and whatnot. But um, you don't have to run another 15 miles. But you do have to run another one. Just run one more. Just run one more. And suddenly those one more add up to 26 yeah. and you're done. So, so that idea about just continuing to move forward is, is really everything. Tell me about, um, since you're directing the, the Canadian effort yep. in, in, for Spartan, yep. um, is there a difference in the communities between globally what the Canadian market looks like compared to sure. the American market? Yeah, so the American market, it, it definitely, there are a few markets in the world where it is just a massive cultural phenomenon. So the states, the races are bigger, the volunteer force is bigger. Like they have people who volunteer at every race, no matter what. It's a very strong, strong community. And I think a lot of us can aspire to that. I know that in Eastern Europe, it's similar, where it's a very strong community. Canada, um, I think our races are harder. And I think the Canadian racers want them to be harder. Um, we have a lot of Americans come up to our races and say, wow, this is a lot harder than our race was in Montana or in Seattle or wherever the close state is that they come up from. I'm not saying that that makes us better. I'm just saying that Culturally, for whatever reason, our races have tended to be a little bit harder. But, um, but you know, when you go to, for example, in, um, in Japan, uh, a very different culture. And the races are more set up um, to not, I don't want to say not to challenge them as much, but um, the, there's, a, you know, there's a pride element to it that you, you need to set them up that they can do well. And, um, but it's funny, even, even non-race related things, like uh, one of my favorite analogies, when I, I do a lot of training of race directors, and I say, you need to be aware of the culture where you're doing it. Like for example, in um, uh, Eastern Europe, in uh, Slovakia and in Czech Republic, the showers are right beside the, um, the, the beer tent, you know, right, right beside the, uh, the, the festival area. And uh, people are pretty much naked in those showers, right? It's just cultural, it's no big deal. In South Korea, we had to have separate stalls for every single racer and hot water and things like that. Wow. So, so it's not just the race, it's the entire event. There are definitely differences. Um, but, um, but in terms of the communities, for sure. Um, there are some rabid communities where the country is nuts about it, and there's some where we still really have to sell the idea and the product. Um, but, uh, and then also in, um, in the Middle East, for example, uh, I know that in some of those cultures, they don't have a co-ed race. It's just not culturally acceptable. Right. So what they've done is they've created a women's only race, which is a pretty neat way to do it. You don't want to take the opportunity away from them, but you also have to be sensitive to, we can't force our American, North American values onto another culture and say, you have to let the men and women run together. So that's an interesting thing. Like in the Middle East where they're separating the women from the men, yeah. are the women wearing burqas and yeah. things like that? Really? Yeah, you'll see women here this weekend who have traditional headgear on and stuff. And you know, it's part of their culture. And, but they're, they're here racing 
hard and competitively, um, but honoring their honoring their own culture. And um, so it's neat. There was actually a woman in one of the Spartan uh, videos that was. Um, that, that's been shown a lot this last year, just to really demonstrate how global it's become. And they're interviewing people from all different cultures. I can't remember which country she's from, but it was definitely one of that um, that area. And she said, "I'm very proud to be here representing women in my country, and uh, just showing what we're capable of." Wow. And so, an opportunity to um, move a little bit beyond some of the traditional boundaries that have, have been there, right? So, it, it's pretty neat. I'm sure you've noticed, like there is a very Olympic feeling to this village right now. Yeah, uh, you know, like the, the countries are represented. People walking around with their uniforms. Yes. The flags are everywhere. Yeah, I was here last year as well, so yeah. I'm familiar. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is, and uh, I think OCR World Championships is kind of like yep. that. It's very, yep. very uh, international. Yep. Yeah, yeah, so, another great event for sure. Yeah, so yeah, yeah the whole vibe here is definitely. Um, at the pinnacle, I think, of the events around the country. Well, and, and you've nailed it that with Spartan, and, and where it's differentiated, and I think why it's continuing to do well, is it started out mud runs. You know, Spartan was a mud run, Tough Mudder was a mud run, Warrior Dash was a mud run, they were all mud runs. But Spartan, very early on, decided, let's make it way more competitive, in that everyone's chipped, everyone's timed, everyone's ranked. You know, we'll, we'll create a basically a pro element to it, the, the, the elite wave. Um, we'll, we'll make age groups so you know how you stack up against the other 37-year-olds in the world. Right. And um, and so it really is a race. Like, it's right from the start, it's been a race. Um, Tough Mudder is a group challenge of... It's a happening. It's a happening, exactly. <laughs> it's not a bad thing at all. And they also learn from Spartan and realize there has to be a competitive element. So, like, World's Toughest Mudder is a great event. Right. Um, but it's, it's different than most of the races. Um, Warrior Dash and those ones... The problem is that, you know, then you get, and it's not a bad thing, but then you get um, Rugged Maniac, and then you get um, all these other races that they're all competing for the beer drinking, music, party, get covered in mud space. Great space. We love it because people who may not do a Spartan race right off, they'll go and do a Warrior Dash, have fun, and then their friend says, you should do the Spartan race thing. So I think it's great that they feed into, but you're absolutely right that in terms of the competitive, dynamic, that vibe of a massive global important event, Spartan has definitely cornered that. Uh, now, that said, OCRWC has done a good job of doing it in an independent way. Like, they're, they're not affiliated with, with any Anybody. specific race company. They're um, like Switzerland. Sure, sure, yeah. <laughs> but, but the other thing that I, I think Joe um, has really done well, and that um, Spartan Race is certainly driving, but it's going to benefit all of them, this whole idea of an Olympic movement and, and trying to drive it in that direction. There are things I don't like about it as a race director. I think it's gonna take a lot of the personality out of it because you can't have muddy ropes because they have to be identical. And you, right. um, So it is gonna become a much more sterile event and hopefully you know, that element of it will stand aside from the, um, the both will exist. You know, the, the organic out there doing it the hard way as opposed to the, the sanitized Olympic way. But, um, but I do think that legitimizing of the sport and that creating that element of this is the real deal that's here to stay is a good thing, and that's certainly Spartan driving that. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting. So you, you, you like John Alban for tomorrow? Uh, you know what? I love Ryan Atkins. I'm a big fan. He's an amazing athlete. He's Canadian, so I, I got to yeah, cheer yeah, for yeah. him too. Um, I think John Alban is – he has separated himself in that he is a truly great, great runner. I think his, uh, one of his current running partners is Killian Jornet, who's yeah. not a bad runner. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, what I'm told is John can hang with him as far as yeah. speed and pace and endurance – where he drops back is on the ridiculously technical stuff that Killian takes chances nobody yeah. else will take. Yeah. Um, but so I think he's the purest runner here, and he's certainly the favorite. Um, you know, you look at that 
right behind him, you've got Ryan Atkins, Ryan Woods, Cody Moat. Um, I know I'm leaving a couple out there who are uh, equally competitive. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be a battle for sure. There will not be a big gap between the, the leaders. And you've got some things that are wild cards. They're all good at the spear throw. They're all good at the monkey bars. But there is that chance. There's that chance that you you slip on the multi rig, right? And suddenly you're doing 30 burpees at the finish line. Uh, it's it's pretty amazing. But you and I talked a little bit. This is just when we were getting started um, about the idea that um, running is what's going to separate these guys. And as this sure. sport gets more and more mature, they have to become real runners. Ryan's become a great runner. Ryan Atkins, um, John Alvin, uh, all of them are starting. They're going out. They're doing trail ultras and things like right. that. Um, uh, Austin Azar, another great Canadian. Yeah, yeah. He, um, I love Austin. He's a great guy. Oh, yeah. You know what I love about our Canadians? And I, this isn't to say that the rest of the world isn't like this. I'm just very familiar with these guys and gals. They are the nicest people you'll meet. You know, down here we've got Sam Bear, we've got um, Austin Azar, we've got Ryan, that's our men's team. Back home we've got Mick Garrelow, we've got um, uh, Josh Stride. These are the nicest people you're going to meet, and you don't have that in every sport. Yeah. You know, of course there's got to be enough ego to drive you forward. Right. But, uh, but boy, um, and, and you know, and the Americans too. I'm great friends with Hunter and yeah. Mark Jones and all these guys. Yeah. It's a pretty cool community. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, Austin was over for, uh, I cooked him dinner. Yeah, yeah. yeah him yeah. and Hunter came over, and sure. uh, Austin and I out drank Hunter. <laughs> we drank, yeah, yeah. drank our fill and wine, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I made him some salmon. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was quick to want to stop over again. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, good athlete. He was on his way to uh, uh, Tough Mudder, I think it was. Um, just two quick things I want to throw in. One yeah. is I just talked about all those guys. The women are just as fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Faye. A, 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 Amelia Faye, uh, uh, Lindsay Webster, yeah. one of the nice people in the world. Yeah. They're all incredible. Um, I, I just lost the other half, so that's okay. There, there's one other point I wanted to make, but I forget. Well, first of all, um, I call Lindsay the Barbie factor. Okay. Because it, it doesn't make a difference what, what type of terrain she's on, yeah. what race she does. Yeah. She always comes away from it looking like a Barbie doll. Oh, with a smile on her face. I'm telling you, man. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Yeah. It's like from another planet. So, so actually, I just remembered the point I was going to make. Um, so now that it's a sport, and now that there are people making some money at it, right? So Mick Garlow, fantastic guy, school teacher up in Canada. Yeah. He asked me after a race, he said, I cannot figure out Ryan Atkins has another gear. He said, I can hang with him, hang with him. And then he just decides he's going to put me away and he goes. Yeah. And he said, and I worked so hard. I'm trying to close that gap. And I said, Mick, I'll tell you why you're not going to close that gap. You are an incredible athlete. You spend six hours a day standing on your feet, raising the minds of the future, which is an important thing to do. And then you go work your ass off for three hours in the gym at night so hard. Ryan and Lindsay usually wake up in their sprinter van, you know, because they spend most of their time on the road. They stretch. And then they go run on the mountains, yeah. right? And they've made this their life. Yeah. You know, their dog Sunto runs with them. And then they seek out these incredible, they're great friends that are really such nice people that nobody doesn't want to hang out with them. Right. So they'll go and they'll hang out with Hunter down in California and they'll go hang out with Austin out yeah. west yeah. And, the, and they'll go to Colorado up in the mountains. So that commitment to the sport, and as more people do that, like John Albin doesn't have another job, this is what he does now. And as more people commit to this as their sport, you know, Wayne Gretzky didn't, um, didn't work at the IGA as well. Right, and so I do think that that's as as there's more prize money and more sponsorship money and more opportunities, you will see these people, um, you know, and and again, that's why part of the reason when you mentioned about how great Lindsay looks at the end of her race, is because it's not really work to her. No, I know it's what she does anyway, I know. every day, right? And that's been the case for a long time. Yeah, and it's been the case for Ryan for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Because you realize in my business, um, people come to me looking for greatness and trying to yeah. figure out a way to to you know, 
unleash this animal that they're hoping is inside them. Sure. And they're, they're looking at guys like Ryan mm -hmm. and they're trying to figure it out. And I'm like, and it's, I, I've talked to Ryan about this before. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost laughable because he's been at it. This is not new. This, no. is, this has not been, from day one, it wasn't new. He's yeah. already had that training ethic. Yeah, in other sports. In other sports. Yeah, sure. yeah. And it just, he, this is what he wants to do. Yeah. And it's not like what he wants to do for a living. It's just what he wants to do. Yeah, period. And, and I talked to him earlier today, mm -hmm. briefly. And I haven't talked to him in a long time. And I briefly, I said, so, you know, what after this? He said, well, Iceland. And then after Iceland, you know, we're going to go and do uh, WTM. And yeah. I said, then a vacation? He goes, no. Nah. He said, no, this is, this is, no. Because he doesn't well, want to go on vacation. Yeah, this is what, what he does. What's the expression? It's uh, if you do what you love, you're never really working. Right. Yeah. Well, that's kind of, I, I, he didn't say that, but it was clear that, because I explained to him that I had planned and I'm going on vacation after this. Mm -hmm. And uh, he he doesn't see that. He just, yeah. to him, having maybe a different locale to yeah. train. Sure. Different environment to train in. Yeah. Different mountain to train on. Yeah. But clearly, the the world is his oyster. He's he's trained both of them, yeah. and so, and that's the distinction I think that separates them from most others, mm -hmm. is that the rest of them are living like we do, yeah. or at least like I do, yeah, and sure. then they're adding in the training. Absolutely. And I also want to give a shout out. That's also part of what makes a guy like Cody Moat so remarkable. Yeah. I think he has six kids. He's yeah. got a business. It's crazy. And, and still out here, you know, winning a lot of these races. So it's, crazy. it's you know, th there are different people impressive for different reasons. But um, but I, I, I do admire Lindsay and Ryan's lifestyle and the idea. And it's so funny because people say, well, yeah, yeah, but they can't do that forever. No. But so what? They can do it as long as they want. <laughs> then go to, you know, live the benefit of that. Right. Well, yeah. I mean... Hopefully, and, and we, you kind of touched on it, and I, we're going to shut it down after sure, this, but yeah. um, what's going to make the difference in this sport, I believe, is ultimately it's going to come down to the money. Yep, it's, it's going to come down to the media attention being such that there's enough people out there that are interested in seeing this yep. or participating in this that there will be such thing as a professional athlete in OCR. Yeah, sure. Because... I know guys that are weighing it, mm -hmm. and right now they're looking at it like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a tough road to hoe for me to pay the bills, have a family, buy a house, yeah. make car payments. Well, you, you look at ultra running. Like I was talking with um, uh, Louis Escobar today, yeah. become a good friend of mine, and um, he was saying that there really aren't more than a couple of guys who truly make a living at it. They make a good living, yeah. right? Like, and it's been around for a long time. It's an incredible sport. Um, but it, it hasn't monetized. And then no. same with uh, with rock climbing or, or climbing period. You know, Alex Honnold probably makes a good living. Who else, right? There's these guys putting their lives on the line every day and not making money at it. So the, re the reason those sports aren't exploding is because you, you can't do that. OCR does have that opportunity to become a really, really, you look at the level of sponsorship here now. Um, and, and I'd suggest that Ryan and Lindsay have become professional athletes. And Hunter, you know, a lot of us parlaying his personality, but he certainly has made a living at this. Um, but it's still just a couple of people, and right. uh, and you're right. That's going to make the difference. And um, but Joe in particular. Now, when I say Joe, of course, I mean the Spartan Juggernaut. Uh -huh. um, every single day, he's focused on how do I make this more substantial? How do I make it a bigger, better product and business? And it's not just to make money. It really is to create a future for these athletes and for this sport. So you're absolutely right. It has to attract the money, and it has to be 
something these people can can leave their day jobs to do full time. Um, I'd say it's getting there. It's it's very much on that um, it's on that bubble, right? Where it's either going to taper off or it's going to go that way. Well, I certainly hope so. I really do hope so because I'm looking at like I told you. I, I sat with a table full of these youngsters that are they're very very hopeful of it, and yeah. and uh, I'd like to see. And I told them, I said, you know, the guys that are racing today, they may not, they may not get a chance to, to live that life. Yeah. But you guys, you know, you're at this point where you got a good solid six, seven, eight years yeah. of being competitive yeah. where you'll have a chance to, 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 you know, bear the fruit or, or realize the fruit of this. And I hope when they do. They send a car to the Ryan Woods of the world and the uh, and the and thank, uh, them. And thank them. Say yeah. thank you guys for driving this forward yeah, so that yeah, we can yeah. reap the benefits. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, we're about to lose this. And <laughs> the battery's dying. Yeah. So it's look, a good, good sign. That means we had fun. Yeah, Johnny. Listen, it was a pleasure meeting you, man. Thanks, brother. Yeah, you pleasure. too. I've looked forward to this for a while. I've heard yeah. the name, and I've I've known that. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited. Thank you. Yeah, cool. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.